Well, good morning, saints. How you doing? You know, I've, I've been ministering in a lot of different churches, and I just want to encourage you, this is the norm. <laughs> About half the church shows up, and um, I was telling my, uh, the pastor now, we turned our, the church over in Boonville to uh, Brandon Pitts. He's the, the pastor in the congregation there. I said, it's so nice not to have to worry about big crowds. Amen. Anybody comes, I'm happy. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really don't know how to share this thing um, with you, but again, I want to just share with you that um, I'm nobody special except I met Jesus and he put some special things in me. And one of the special things that are in, is in the ministry that I have is a prophetic edge. And so when I come, I don't want us to make the mistake of just, um, well, we're going to have another sermon, it'll be fun, hopefully it'll be entertaining, and we'll go home and we'll have lunch. I believe that, especially since I've been released by uh, my church, and more than that, released by the Holy Spirit to go out and minister to the churches, I've noticed a difference in how God speaks to me. And this morning, what I'm going to share with you, I'm just going to share with you some thoughts I have. I'm so glad that, that Jeff and Lauren are here so they can tie a string to my, my leg, and if I get too doctrinally floating out, they can pull me back. But I really want to share with you what has been um, a journey through this whole thing that we're going through right now in America. And prophetically, what I'm seeing and what I feel God is speaking to us Today, there's, I want you to be mindful of three things today. You, I, and us. And I say that because God wants to speak to you, God wants to speak to me, and God wants to speak to us. And we're a part of all that. Sometimes we... We take the Word of God so personal we don't realize that we're part of a bigger picture. We are a team player, that we are on the court. That When we are living, we are the team that's on the court. We're not the first team that's been on the court, but this is our moment. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, our moment? Okay. This is not the past moment and it's not the future moment, but this is the moment that uh, even if you're, if you're concerned today of what's going on, I want to encourage you in the book of Esther, something that we quote a lot of times that um, um, Mordecai, I think it was, her uncle said to her that you need to understand, Esther, that you were born for such a time as this. And we, we love that moment and we love that statement. But I can actually say that to you and me. That of all the generations and all the things that have went on, all the wars and all the plagues and all the different cultural changes that have went on in the past, for some reason, God chose you and I to live in this time. And so I want you to know that God has already equipped you. He's already put things in the, the mix for you that you have all the grace and all the anointing and all the message that you're going to need, but you need to stay connected to Him. Amen? So don't be discouraged. You're up for the job if you're with Jesus. Praise God. So I'd like you to open your Bibles to um, Matthew chapter 16. I love this church, and I really mean that. I, uh, Joanne and I were talking about it this morning. If you were closer, I might even end up coming here, you know, as I get into more of a retirement mold because uh, there's such a good balance here. And uh, um, I think I even could help you because I'm a little bit 
loud, and you guys are a little bit quiet. And uh, I, I, need, I need to receive and assimilate the quiet, but you also need to assimilate the loud. Make a loud sound. Make a joyful sound. And um, we don't need to wake up God. We just need to wake up ourselves. Amen? So um, this morning what I want to talk to you about, and it's, it's a key word, is gatekeepers. Gatekeepers. Not the gatekeepers, but gatekeepers. As a a message from the Lord today that the church of God are gatekeepers. That we are the most important influence in the earth today. As much as money is being thrown around in fake power and politics and, and uh, military uh, might and all of this flesh that's, that's in this world, the most powerful <coughs> organization, the most powerful people on the planet by designation and ordination of God Himself is His church. And we need to step up to that and understand that we have an important role to play in this generation as gatekeepers. And so I'm going to read this portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. And Jesus came into the regions of Caesarea Philippi, and He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? the Son of Man. So they said, some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah's, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but My Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build My church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I hope that at some point in your life you have been chosen by somebody and it's been a great compliment to you. There's a couple times in my life I can think of. uh, One was basketball. I didn't have. I lost my father real young, and Coach Giordano. I I didn't get. I I I got cut from the seventh grade team. You guys don't know who these people are, but uh, and I, I had no father. I was basically I was right on the edge of going dark, dark, dark because I had no guidance in my life. And uh, I remember walking past, he was, the, uh, he was a real strong character man, and he was the varsity coach, and I had played for him and played with his team when I was younger, and uh, they cut me from the team, and uh, I was walking by his classroom, and says, hey, Tayball, come here. I heard you got cut from the team. I want you to know I talked to the coaches, you're, up, you're back on. Changed my life. It was quite a compliment. I just heard from my son Josiah who works for Corning up in, uh, um, in Canton. And uh, he was just told by his supervisor that there's an opening happening in, um, where did he say? Up by Vermont someplace. And, and uh, he said, there's two people in front of you. But they've already told me that if those people don't, don't uh, take this job, they're coming after you. And I want you to know if you take it, I'll hate you the rest of your life. Because <laughs> he wanted him there. 
And so the idea, what, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is what a great compliment that God has said, I want to partner with you. I choose you. He said, you did not choose me. You know, if you're here today and you, you think that all of a sudden you came to light and you came to some kind of conviction in your life or you decided you wanted to be more, uh, more religious or you wanted to clean yourself up, all of that did not initiate with you, but it initiated with the Spirit of God. And I hope right now that God is pulling you so hard, even if you're dragging, you can almost hear your feet dragging along because God is the hound of heaven. He is after you because He wants to partner with you in this generation and make an impact. God is with us. God is for us. And God is among us. And so in this story here, we find that the definition of of gatekeeper, and that's, that's where I want to target in here. I'm going to talk around it, but that's what I want to really hit today. A definition of gatekeeper, because Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom and the gates of hell. In other words, the access of hell, the portholes of hell that are trying to come into the, wor- world, into the world, I'm giving my church the keys and the power to stop that. Do you believe that? See, the enemy is dumbing us down and dumbing us down. So we're not even excited about the King of all the universe actually calling us to Himself. We can actually go through all of these things and not get excited. I still get excited. I tell my wife, you still excite me. I I love the way you look. I'm still excited. I'm still in love. Are you still excited? But I want to tell you, the excitement for God is something that's under attack all the time. Your excitement and your enthusiasm and your, your zeal, all of this world is designed to water it down and bring it down and numb it down and actually say to you, be quiet, sit in the corner and don't be loud. Don't, don't raise your voice. Don't make a mess. When God says, lift up your voice, He says, lift it up. Because when you lift up your voice, then the Senate can lift up their voice. The President uh, I'm not political here, but I'm saying about anyone that doesn't know you, and I don't know if senators or even the president know you. I'm not going to make that judgment. But anyone that does not know the, G- the name of Jesus can lift their voice up, and their voice means nothing. But when you and I and the church of God lifts up our voice, God says something happens in heaven. What you bind on earth happens in heaven. When you begin to say things in earth in the will of God, when you invest in what God has called you to do, something happens in heaven. And heavenly hosts are beginning to move and and the principalities and powers that are behind everything that we see are going on. You know, I don't know about you, but when I watch the news, I see demons. I'm not saying literally, but it's like watching a... I don't even know what it's like. It's just like watching a spiritual movie. You can just see the tension and the spiritual warfare that's going on. That's our battleground. Did you know you're in a battle? I said, did you know you're in a battle? Amen? I'll tell you, if you're not paying attention when you're in a battle, you could get killed. That's getting killed. The definition of gatekeeper is a person who controls access to something or someone. A person in charge of gates to control the passage through it. And so, Jesus took His disciples. I didn't realize this as I began to study this thing. The Lord's been speaking to me about this. Caesarea Philippi was a field trip for Jesus' disciples. He took them on a trip. You know how long it took them to get there? 255 miles to get to this place. That's a long trip by car. 
So he must have started weeks ago, but he was going to Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was a place that the Jews hated. Because in that place there was a porthole, there was a cave that was bottomless. They could not find the end of it. And they actually believed that it was the porthole or the gate to hell. They believed that that was the access that the, the devil was coming in and out of the earth through that porthole. And all around it were all of these idols and all of these false gods and all of these altars that were dedicated to the demons that were going on there. And so Jesus took His disciples, He took His church for an objection, object lesson. And He takes them to what the world believes at that time was the very gates of hell. And He says to them, who do people say that I am? It would be like today all of us getting into a bus and going to New York City or going to Baltimore or going to uh, Oregon, all these hot spots that are in the city, going right to the very mess that's going on in this world and sitting there. And here's what I think God was saying is, am I relevant to this situation? Or do you have to kind of hold your breath and just hold on, knuckle down, and wait till you go to heaven? Am I even relevant to this situation? Can I do anything about this situation? Or does the enemy have free access in and out of the earth? Who do people say that I am? Because that's very crucial. Well, you're a prophet. You're a great teacher. You're, you're one of the ones that wrote the Bible. You're cool. All of these different things. You know, you're a life changer. You're a, you're a historical figure. Well, none of that's going to be relevant. Who do you say that I am? Until Jesus becomes Lord, until there's been a spiritual birth and a spiritual awakening in your life, you aren't fit for the kingdom of God. It'll all be a philosophy instead of theology. We have a lot of philosophies. Philosophies will not cast out demons. Philosophies will not shut the gates of hell. It's going to take a people that seek the face of God. You know what that means when you seek the face of God? You know, I was, I was telling Lauren, I've been looking forward to seeing Lauren and his wife. For some of you guys are very special to me today. I love your pastor, but I wanted to see his face. It's one thing to talk to him on the phone, it's one thing to get an email, but it's another thing. When God says, you know, I don't want you just to throw up something. I, I want you to press into me and press into me until you can feel and see my expressions and I can feel and see your expressions. He wants to get intimately involved. Seek my face. What does it say in a famous scripture that, that we quote in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14? If my people... And you, this is another thing. We say this thing. If my people who are called by my name, what's the first thing he asked us to do? He doesn't say have a prayer meeting, he doesn't even say fast. He says, will humble themselves. Humility is a great conduit to the power of God, and pride is a great short circuit. Humility says, Lord, I can't do anything, but I'm absolutely convinced that You can do everything. And so I bow before You. If my people are called by My name, will humble themselves. What's the second thing? And seek My face. 
That's not a, an agenda. That's a person. Have you done that? Is this happening to us right now and we're not changing? We're, we're really striving to get back to what it used to be? Or has it so affected you that you bow low? You know, posture means something. Posture means something. Bowing means something. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Draw nigh unto God, and He shall draw nigh unto you. Wash your hands. They want us to wash our hands. Jesus says, wash your hands. Wash them of what? An attitude, a lifestyle, a compromise. Wash your hands, all you sinners. There's so many prophetic pictures in what's going on right now. So this region was the considered, and Jesus used this as an object lesson to teach us. So the great question was, who is Jesus? Is He relevant to this situation? Can we call upon His name? Do you understand the mission of God? The mission of God, Jesus said, I've come to destroy darkness. I've come, I've come to take the ball away from the devil. He hasn't got the ball anymore, guys. And he's never getting it back. He's on the defense all the time, and we are on the offense. It's, it sounds unfair, but Jesus took it from him. He says, I have the keys of life and death. And so Jesus has taken the ball from the enemy. He's, he's redeemed mankind back to himself. And he says, I work the works of my Father. I have come to destroy the, the gateways of de the devil into, into our societies. I have come to... Um, to set people free. In fact, um, Luke chapter 4 talks about, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me with power to heal brokenhearted people. He has anointed me with power to set people free and bring them out of darkness. To set the captive free. And to preach the, the good news, the Gospel news to the people that are poor, poor in spirit, those that are down and out. He's anointed me that when I speak, in Jesus' name, it goes past the flesh into the very heart of people. Anybody excited about that? Has that changed your life? It changed my life. And if it changes your life, how can you not be excited about it? So what is your, what is your Christian view today? You know, a Christian has a worldview. And it should be a worldview of the mission of Christ. You know, I'm 65. Don't I look young? This is where you encourage the pastor. I look young. I'm 65, and, and I'm kind of somewhat dreaming and dreading the possibility of really stepping into a retirement. But I, I've actually went past that this week. My retirement doesn't start until I'm in His presence. Amen? There's a lot to do. And I'm excited about that day. And so, as a Christian, Jesus said, you know, when Nicodemus, the, the best, if you will, the best educated people of his day, they knew the Old Testament, they knew the law, and they came to Jesus, and Jesus says to this person, you must be born again. Your worldview has to change. And it can't happen by education. You can't be educated into the kingdom. You can't know enough intellectually about God to be born again. It is a supernatural birth. Jesus said you must be born again. 
And if you're not born again, he says, if you're not born again, you will never enter into the mission. You will never see it. He said you, you will not be able to enter into the kingdom. In fact, you will never even see the kingdom. And we have, we have people that are naming the name of Jesus and living just like the world and people going to church and they don't see the kingdom, they have no concept of the kingdom, and they haven't been born again. I want you to know, I've been born again. Something happened to me when I called upon the name of the Lord. And it wasn't given to me by a certificate. We can go to church. We talked about membership today. Membership, I absolutely believe in membership. It's very, very important that you find the local church where God wants you to plug in and be part of that platoon, part of that, that army right there. But not just be, because you're a part, a member on paper, just the question is, are you a member in Christ? Have you been born again? Has something supernatural happened to you? You'll never understand what we're talking about. It'll just be a nice story. Entertaining again. And God wants us to go beyond that. So, what is the Lord trying to say it to us? And why is it such a big deal about who He is? Why did He take the disciples to what they referred to at that day as the porthole of hell and lay before us for eternity? I'm at the porthole of hell. Peter, flesh and blood did not show you who I was. But something, ha something happened from heaven. My Father showed you something that no man could ever show you. And I'm telling you, that is so powerful, it's going to shut these gates. I'm going to give to the church, I'm going to give to my people, I'm going to give to my born-again ones. I'm going to give them the power, the keys of the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, now He says in Revelations, I have the keys of life and death, but what does He do to Peter? He says, I'm giving them to you. So we can sit back and put it on cruise control and just say, you know, it doesn't matter, I'm going to heaven, the rest of the world can go to hell. And we miss the generational call that God has given us. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to give it to you. That, that is so exciting to me. To get on my knees and be able to cry out to God and bind and loose things and see God begin to move. Church, we need to rise up. You know, there's a saying in the world, um, what is it? What's that saying? I wrote it down here someplace. All hell is breaking loose. All hell is breaking loose. Well, who has the keys to stop it? Our president, our senators. Are you nuts? They can't even get things done in Washington. God bless them, but boy, they're messed up. They can't do anything against the forces of hell, they are helpless. But we are not. I'm glad at least two people showed up today. Because if two and more of you agree together as touching anything, I will do it. All you need is one other believer, and you've got that in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. All you need is those two people, and it's more powerful than any army. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, you won't do it. You can hope it and still not do it. You can know it and still not do it. But it's time to do some inventory about our lives and it's time to do some inventory about what we really believe and it's time to do inventory about what Jesus really means to us. 
Setting your affection on things above is resetting your affections. Because our affections can be set on a lot of things. God's canceled football. He's canceled basketball. He's canceled soccer. He's canceled all these things are distraction. And he's saying, listen, none of that stuff matters anyways. Reset. Set your affections. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So, discovering the kingdom of God. So when I was in Christ, the first thing I did, and, and I don't understand this, honestly, saints, when someone can accept the Lord and there's no change. You know, to be, a, to be a Christian, you have to be a sinner. I was overqualified. And I say that because if you haven't faced the fact of how lost you were, if God, by the Holy Spirit, has not brought you to a place where you absolutely are desperate for Him, Paul said himself, he, the great, one of the greatest, if not the greatest apostle that ever lived, he said, I am the chief of sinners. When he saw himself as being t- totally lost, he knew he was the chief of sinners. And he received Christ. And so instinctively, when I got saved, I was a Catholic boy. I was involved in drinking. I was involved in drugs. I was involved in a lot of of sins that were in my family. I was involved in just about anything that was black at that day. Instinctively, because I got saved, because God got into my life, instinctively I started to rebel against those things. And I began to realize the Holy Spirit came into my life, which He's the one that causes you to get born again. And He began to take me on a walk. I talked to a brother, Roger, this morning about the walk to Emmaus, which is one of my favorite stories, by the way. But the Holy Spirit began to take me on a walk and He began to say, you know, you need to shut the porthole on that. You need to shut the gate on that. You need to stop that in your life. Because all of these things that we allow into our lives are altars where the enemy can can bounce off and come to our life. You know, back in the day when I was a youngster was when they first invented electric fences. And back then, they had a, we had an electric fence thing up on the back of our porch and it would go, uh, uh. I don't, I'm not sure. I haven't been into farming since I was 13, but uh, we were fascinated by this thing. It, it kept coming in on the radio. It kept coming in on the, the TV. But one day when we first got it all hooked up, my dad and us boys were down there and, and uh, he said, take this piece of straw and put it on the, the wire. And so you put this piece of straw on the wire and you could feel just a, a little bit of a buzzing. You know? Then we tried a piece of wood and, and I'm quite young and I pick up a wire. And I said, Dad, will this work? And he says, try it. And I put that sucker out and I got zapped. I can still feel the wiggle going up my end. But what, what we learned about the electric fence is that the electric fence will go around the whole border of our farm and a tree could fall and hit the electric fence and it begins to suck power from it. Or the grass could grow and it begins to touch the electric fence. And the more things that are defying the power, the more things that are touching the power, are draining more and more power until you have hardly any zap at all. And so the first thing the Holy Spirit would say to you as a Christian, this is you, and this is me, is what is touching the power in your life? Now I'm not talking about things that you are wrestling with and struggling with, because I've wrestled, and it seems like when I win one wrestling match, He gives me another opponent. Anybody found that? He's just never satisfied. He's after everything. And so, but what are you not wrestling with? 
What have you allowed in your life that literally has become a porthole or a gate that the enemy can come through? You know, we, we say that when we talk to people. One of the things that I've learned to say in, in counseling when you bring them to a certain point, is there any windows open in your spirit? Is there any doorways where the enemy can come in that's causing this to happen? Now, when you get saved, you are absolutely delivered from anything. But he begins to clean house. Every year we had to walk that line and find out if anything was touching it. That's called sanctification. Separation for the things of God. And then as, as our life begins to start, what, what I be found in my life is that See, this Holy Spirit will take you on a journey. And so as I, I, I met my wife and we decided to get married, I began to be concerned. Why was I concerned? Because I had come from a culture and I had come from a family. I was surrounded by a culture that was, uh, I mean, one of the rites of passage in my family was getting drunk. You were a man when you got drunk. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's when you hit a home run. Maybe when you make the team. But there's all kinds of things that we, we have right a passage. And another thing was deer hunting, which I still do. Getting a buck, right a passage. And so there's all these things. But I realized that now I'm about, I married a Christian girl. We, we understand that we are under the covering of Jesus Christ. That now I have a responsibility to raise my children in the fear of God. But I understand that in the past, there was generational things in my life that I don't want to be part of my kids. And so what did I do? The Holy Spirit took me on a walk. Here's how you close those gates. Here's a Scripture for you. He became a curse on the cross. Cursed is everyone who hangs on the cross that you might receive a blessing. And so I began to renounce alcoholism. I began to renounce um, in, uh, immor immoral acts. I began to renounce the rebellion and the hippie attitude and the, the slothfulness and all the different things that were in my family. I'm not sure what's in your family, but there's something there. You know, Grandpa Smith or Grandpa Johnson or Grandma Smith was like this, and, and I see it in my granddaughter. I see it in my parents. It's called a generational sin. It's called access. You know what a familiar spirit is? A familiar spirit is something that's familiar with your family. He knows how to get to me. He's not going to tempt me with this because there are certain things that don't mean anything to me but this. I saw in your father. I saw in your grandfather. I saw in your great-grandfather. I, I had access to your family and I'm coming and I'm going to have access to you. And Jesus said, shut that door. Shut it. Bind it. Don't just say, I rebuke you. But he said the other part of that Scripture, seek my face and turn and turn from your sin. Maybe the TV is your sin. Maybe there's something you're listening that's your sin. Maybe there's a conversation that maybe there's a way you look at things and you can rebuke that all you want, but you're going to end up being just like David. You're rebuking Bathsheba as she's taking a bath in front of you. You've got to turn from it. And so as you turn, you, you bind and you loose and you say, Lord, I turn from that. I turn from that 
Whether, say, it, say it's a, a dark thought. And Lord, now I'm going to turn and I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to meditate on the Scriptures. I'm going to change. See, that's what repentance is. Repentance is, isn't this. Repentance is this. Is there something in your life? It doesn't matter. This is why, saints, here's a question. How important is your personal holiness to the mission of this church? It doesn't matter what I do. Oh, yeah? Remember the electric fence? Your commitment, your obedience to the Word of God. Every time you do, not legalism, but obedience out of love and mission. When you obey out of love and mission, what happens is the voltage of the power of God begins to flow. You know, we've actually seen in our church, I've seen this in a lot of churches, I better not say that, I won't go there. <laughs> but we've actually seen, it costs you something to come to church today. And I'm so thankful you're here. I can look out there sometimes and see you faithful people that continue to come and it just honestly makes me want to cry. You love Jesus that much. Not only that, you love one another that much and you actually come and love me. So, thank you so much for coming and listening today. It'd be really lonely up here, but I guess we can do it. I'm on, I'm on TV now. Okay? I'm, I'm a famous evangelist. <laughs> Ta-da! That's what my grandkids say all the time. Are you getting the picture now that Satan and darkness has to be bound in our life. And I, you know, I don't like some of this stuff. But it seems like the Holy Spirit saying, you do it. Jesus in, in your name, and it's always in His name. It's, it's through His victory. But He said, I have to say it. Don't you wish that somebody else could make a decision for you? I wish I could just say a bunch of religious prayers and repent. It don't work for me. I have to repent. So what the picture is that Jesus is saying, you have to recognize darkness, church, and you have to bind it. And so, if we have the authority to bind darkness... And it's the church's authority to guard the gates. Here's the big deal now. How important is your holiness? How can we bind darkness in the world if it's in the church? If we are compromising in the church, if we're not in love with Jesus and we haven't dealt with those cooling off things and really went to God and said, God, I don't know why. I, I just don't seem to be romantically involved with you anymore. How can we expect them to be what we are not? And we turn into this judgment mode and they're all going to hell and we're all going to heaven. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> I want to go to heaven. But then it even goes farther. It's even a bigger deal than that. There's two main scriptures that I've been meditating on a lot. It's Daniel chapter 9 and Psalm 139. But Daniel chapter 9 is very interesting because it's a prayer. I, I, I love Daniel and I love this prayer. Daniel, um, 
As far as I can see in the Scripture, there is never an accusation against Daniel. He was a man of God. He was the envy of each one of us. He prayed three times a day. Wouldn't you wish you could do that? I wish I had that discipline and that desire. And when the angel came in chapter 9, he said, Daniel, you are greatly beloved. God loves you, man. He just loves the fact that you want to be with him and you just can't stay away. But it says Daniel was recognizing the time that he lived in. And here's what it said. It says Daniel understood what God was doing. And he set his face to seek the Lord. And here's what this man of God did. He confessed his sin. Are you a Christian that you wish everybody else would straighten up? There's your sin. It's called judgment and self-righteousness. I, I know people like that. I've been like that. He confessed his sin. Not only that, he went further. He confessed the sins of his nation because they were sold into Babylon and it was because of idolatry. When you build an idol, when you build an altar to pornography or to uh, jealousness or anger, in other words, things that you know are black and you will not bring them down, you have built a porthole, you have built an altar by which the enemy can come into your life and come into the world. And that's what they did. They built all of these idols that were to other gods and God had told them, you do that, you're going to be in trouble. And Daniel says, Lord, I confess my sin and I confess the sins of my nation. And he says something, he said, to us is confusion, but to you is righteousness and faithfulness. To us is shame. Listen to this. But you are the God of mercy and forgiveness. He knew that God was a God of forgiveness and God was a God of mercy. And so he began to plead and intercede for his generation. How does that attach to this? It's bigger than I'm telling you about. Your personal problem is bigger than you. Church, our personal problem is bigger than us. But we're going to be judged individually, the Bible says. But did you know there's indication in the Word of God that we're also going to be judged as a church body and as a nation. It says, Jesus said this, He said, the men of Nivea will rise up in the judgment in the generation and condemn with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Indeed, a greater in Jonah is here. And the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, there's one greater than Solomon here. At the judgment it says, and all the nations will be gathered unto Him. Nations! And He's going to separate them like goats and sheep. That's where that great Scripture, when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was in prison. Nations! I love the fact that America gives a lot but we will be judged as a nation. All this is going on. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus is saying, am I relevant to what's going on right now? Can I shut all hell that's breaking loose? I give you the keys. What about it? What about it? You know, 
doing an inventory of the sins of my generation. We have abortion, which is the sacrament of liberalism. We are murdering our children. We have terrible immorality. We have extreme uh, rebellion. We have terrible lawlessness. So I back up. Is there any trace of those things in me? Is there any trace of those things? Isn't this a wonderful message? See, I'm just saying, if you want this thing to to be dealt with, we're going to have to deal with it on our knees. You can protest. I tell people all the time, they've wanted me to protest here and protest there. And I believe in, in, in freedom and I believe in stating things, but the first thing I said is, let's protest on our knees first. Because I believe if you protest on your knees, then God will tell you when you rise up what to do. I don't want to be doing things apart from Him. Amen? So, all of these things, I've been getting down on my knees and I need your help. Here's the, here's the dilemma I had as I came this morning. I know God's telling me this. But I actually think He's telling you this. And I actually think He's telling us this. So there comes the prophetic rub. Are we going to do anything about this? Are we going to humble ourselves and get down on our face? Say, Lord, you see what's going on in our nation. And I have confessed my own sin, Lord, that I've, I've, maybe I've compromised here. I don't know. You know. I don't even know. I know some of my sins, but honestly, I think a lot of times, saints, the things that God is worried about are not the things that you're, that, that you're worried about at all. See, Psalm 139 talks about how intimately God knows you. Have you ever talked to him about the big elephant in the room? In other words, the thing that you won't even tell your wife or you won't tell your husband. You're so ashamed of some thought or something or something that you are drawn to. And Psalm 139 is an invitation to talk about the big elephant in the room and say, Lord, from a childhood I've struggled with this or I don't know why I have a tendency for this or I'm so ashamed that I even did this. And i got to talk to you about it. And you know what? In that psalm is contained the truth that there's some things that you don't talk to anything, anybody about except for God because He's the only one that can set you free. As we all, with unveiled faces, beholding in a mirror the face of Jesus or the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image. This is a challenge to us that I bring you today. It starts with you, it starts with me, but it goes to us. And then it goes to the world. We are the ones with the keys. Daniel said this, I'm almost done. There should be an awe. Oh, I'm almost... Daniel said this in Psalm not, or, uh, chapter 9, which is a great... The first half of it of his prayers is a great thing for you to meditate on. He said, all of this disaster has happened to us 
verse 13. All of this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God. I can't make very many things. You wouldn't want to eat anything that I eat, make, but I can make Johnny cake. You might call it cornbread. So you get this big bowl. Is it baking soda or baking powder that you put it in? I think it's baking powder. I made the mistake of putting baking soda in it. It doesn't taste real good. But the, the idea is I'm making something. I'm bringing in the cornbread. I'm bringing in the sugar, extra sugar please. I'm bringing in the flour. I'm bringing in the baking powder. And I mix them all. I bring in the eggs and I mix them all together. And I put them in an oven. I'm mixing all of those agreements. So I bring in, Father, I confess my sin. I confess the sins of my nation that I have set back and say, boy, they're going to really be in trouble at judgment and you didn't even realize that you're the one that's supposed to be guarding the gates. I'm pouring all this in the bowl. I'm making a prayer. We've been having prayer meetings and I've been asking my church, I said, we got to come together and make a prayer. We've got to put the ingredients together and make a prayer. So I'm encouraging you guys to make a prayer. I'm, the last thing I'd like to say, I, I worked at Severance Photo for like five years in Watertown. Actually, that's where God taught me how to preach, selling cameras. And after being there probably five years or so, I was the store manager and um, my boss called me in. I was hoping he was going to give me a raise, but you know what he gave me? He gave me a set of keys. He says, I want you to open up. I want you to set the alarm. I want you to lock up. I was actually, this is my, my confession, I was a little bit upset. I wanted to raise. I don't want keys. I actually, back in those days, I was even more rebellious than I am now. I said he gave me the keys of the kingdom. Well, I went home that night, and I'm driving home, and I'm thinking, did I lock the store? And you know what I said? Who cares? And then I grew up, and I repented. And, all, and the, the, the thought came to me, you know, he gave you the responsibility to keep that store secure. He gave you the responsibility to keep the doors locked so it wouldn't be ripped off. And that's what you're going to do with that responsibility? Saints, I am deadly serious. We are the key to our nation right now. We need to pray. We need to lift up holy hands without wrath. We need to address the, the evil that's going on and understand that God is not a God of evil and understand that Jesus took his disciples to the porthole of hell. Here's something that I think is fascinating. In his day, they literally could not find the bottom of that. But something happened. Earthquakes happened. And shut that. It's still bottomless. But it shut a lot of that thing off. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says the earth shook. And I just wonder 
if that door wasn't slammed shut and that porthole was... You know, when they prayed in Acts, it says the whole room shook. Two times in Acts. And I believe that those things, when we see them, God is trying to show us what's going on in the heavenly. Look at that scripture. I am amazed that Jesus said, if you will say on earth and bind on earth, heaven will hear your voice and back you. Isn't that amazing, Jeff? So I just want to challenge this church. The call of God is on your life. Amen. Just a couple words. Um, I know you're a grandson here. What did you say your name was? Josh. I just saw missions on you. Just that um, There's a group of people that God is calling you to, and that could happen a lot of different ways, so I don't want you to be locked into that mold. But there's a, a call of mission. Have you ever thought about that? Going on, have you ever went on a mission? Yeah. You know, the other thing too, Josh, and I, and I say this to all of us, would you please think, in other words, when, when uh, my coach called me in to be part of the basketball team, he had regulations, like I couldn't have long hair, and I wasn't supposed to drink, I wasn't supposed to smoke, and all this kind of stuff. I'm supposed to get to bed at a certain time. But, you know, all I did was just huff and puff about the whole thing. It would have been so much better if I would have sat down and thought, well, why is he saying that? He wants a good team. And I'm saying I want to be a part of that team, and I want to be a contributor to that team. Now, I'm 65. It took me that long to figure out what he was trying to say. Okay? But think about what that means, Josh. That what God is really saying is you've got, you got a DNA in your life. There's a, there's a future for you. And so I would, I would encourage you to process that. What, do you, what are you saying, Lord? I want to know what you're, what's on your mind. Think about the fact that you're a young man. Think about the energy that you have. Also, um, this sister here, I have a funny word. I feel like the Lord is saying that in your life there's a fickleness. In other words, there's a lot of funny stuff that's went on in your life. But in the same way I share with that, brother, I, I think God wants you to know the enemy's tried to afflict you with a fear of even speaking up. And he's not asking you to be rude. There's a difference between boldness and rudeness. And you'll get that if you'll just go to him. But he's, he's been after you to speak. And he's saying, I'll give you boldness. But that boldness will come out of the word of the Lord. You'll be with him in the morning. He'll give you things to say. He'll say this will happen. I mean, he'll, he'll be with you. It's pretty um, encouraging when you're up against a bully, when you've got somebody bigger than your, when the, the bully's standing next to you and Jesus is with you. So all of that fickleness, God is actually causing you to pray about it first, but he's asking you to speak up. Does that make sense? Okay. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. See, anything I've found prophetically when God speaks mission, he's speaking mission to all of us. When he speaks calling into your past, he's speaking to all of us. I don't know what it is about you, brother, but I just want to say I so appreciate your spirit. You smile. He's, he could have came all by himself and I would have been happy. But um, I just I appreciate you. Got, I, I think you've got what I would call um, an anointing to be a friend. And, you know, sometimes this, I'm struggling with this a little bit as we get older. Well, what's my place? You are a cheerleader. And you'll be amazed at how many young men and young ladies just need a dad. So you just be a dad. That's who you are, okay? Just be that dad, that friend. And don't worry about being so philosophical or theological, any of that kind of stuff. 
He just wants you. He's, he actually has brought you to this point and made you who you are so you could be effective. Does that make sense? Do you have any grandkids? Awesome. How many? Three. May God double it. Amen. <laughs> okay, Brother uh, Jeff, I think you can go. Thank you.
just wanted to leave you with this thought, and I, I really believe this is true. If Jesus was here today, I, didn't, I don't want to discourage anybody. He would not say that he's discouraging you. I actually think he would say, you're doing a lot better than you think. But I, I believe one of the things, you know, it says all hell has been loosed. I think one of the things that the enemy has loosed against the church is discouragement and insecurity. You don't think you're right, therefore you can't be bold. You are right because of something God did, nothing you ever did. And so Jesus wants you to, even as you're binding and loosing and you're standing, he wants you to know, number one, he's smiling at you, he loves you, and he has totally accepted you. So be bold in that love, and don't let the enemy discourage you and knock you down. Don't let him do it. That's, that's darkness. That's not the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, Father, I thank you for this, this uh, gateway to this community that you have established here in this church. I thank you for the individual members that you've called for such a time as this. And, Lord, I'm asking that you would raise up by the resurrection power, Lord, the anointing that's in their life and the presence that's in their life. Holy Spirit, you begin to speak to them through dreams and through visions, Lord, that your word would literally come alive for them. They'd have a deeper appetite, Lord. Father, they would press in to know the Lord with everything in them. Holy Spirit, I just pray now you'd guide them, Father, and give them help and strength. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing and what you're about to do. And Lord, we stand together right now for our nation. We stand together, Father, that you would bind the lawlessness and the immorality and the rebellion that's going on in the streets. Father, we stand for the good, Lord. We lift up holy hands without wrath. We are not for either party, but we are for the Lord. And God, we're praying right now that you'd bind those things, and God, you'd bring favor on this nation again. You'd cause us to repent and turn from those things. There will be a massive revival, Lord. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. He can do it all. Amen. He can do it all. Amen. Let's give him a clap off when we do that. A shout to the Lord. Hallelujah. He's good. Amen. God bless you. See you next time I see you.